Hello and welcome to another episode of Ineptus Astartes. Episode 8, actually. Holy crap, 8 episodes. Today we're going to answer some questions. We are going to talk about some of the new releases that have come out. Look a little bit as to what we heard from LVO, which was apparently a super exciting time. And look forward to Adepticon. We will also be continuing on with the Centurions and talking about a couple of them today. I believe on the docket we have the Siegebreaker, the Mortificator, and the Primus Medicae. Next time, we will be finishing up the standard series with talk about the Esoterist and the Librarian. And then after that, I'm going to put together a video on YouTube talking about all of the Legion-specific Centurions. After that, um, it has been suggested to me to make a tier list of all of them. Uh, I don't know about that. We'll see. What would you think? Would you like to see a video like that on YouTube? Let me know. Part of the reason why we are saving the Librarian and the Esoterist for next time or sometime in the near future part of it is because the librarians rules are so very big with so many different psychic powers to talk about there's a lot to delve through there are if you're trying to be super competitive there are some definitely that stand out more than others but there's definitely fun things to do with all of the powers it will just take a long time for us to do the other part is that the esoterist because their rules hinge specifically on uh, Demons of the Runestorm, and those rules aren't out yet, it's really sort of impossible to evaluate that specific one. Now, we did just get, last Thursday, at least as the time this was recorded, we did just get the model for the Esoterist, and it's a really sweet model, and it definitely will be kitbashed into a lot of different things. I could see it being a, a librarian, of course. Um, you could see it being an Esoterist, a lot of different models. But the pose is cool, the armor is nice, I really enjoy it. My hope is that this means that we're only maybe a few weeks away from seeing the full Demons of the Ruinstorm list, which, man, would be really nice. I think, I, I know that militia players are really jonesing to see that PDF as well, but Demons demons players have just been sitting and waiting for, uh, or I just saw a post, a meme post on like 232 days or something since Demons, without Demons of the Ruinstorm. And, I mean, obviously, like, they're going to release things at the pace that they think they should. But uh, for Demon players and for anyone who's wanting to run events where it really makes sense to have Demons present, it would be really nice to see all of those rules. Some other little bits of news is uh, a big thank you to everyone who donated or purchased a T-shirt for the David Komen Adepticon registration meme shirt. We raised over $200, which is going to be donated to Hannah, his uh, fiance, and I'm really proud of that. The fact that we could do that was really awesome, so thanks to everyone who donated there. On top of that, I wanted to let you all know of another fundraising opportunity, if you so wish. I only had the chance to go to Adepticon for the first time in 2022, and so I don't have the close connection that some people do to a lot of these uh, these people and friends. I, I loved it so much, and I'm so excited to go back. But for long-time goers, you might know about the Wapples, Jim and Kathy Wapple, which run a little hobby area and activity called Fort Wapple, where there are painting classes, people get constructive criticism, hang out. It's like a super friendly, super encouraging sort of atmosphere that they create, and they do it every year. I walked past and through it on my way to between things, but I was too packed to actually really sit down and, and experience it last year. That being said, Kathy, the wife of the duo, 
has had some health problems and is undergoing some treatment. And while her prognosis, I guess, is optimistic, there's obviously going to be hardships because that's the way um, that, you know, that's the way getting sick works here. Anyway, the Chicagoland paint team is doing a fundraiser and it's uh, better battleforkathy.betterworld.org. The link will be below. And basically they're doing a fundraiser with a raffle. You can make a donation just directly to the campaign, or you can put yourself into a raffle for either a Warcry Heart of Gur set or the Warhammer Quest Cursed City. And, you know, I mean, not, neither of those things are Horus Heresy related, but still, you know, I mean, it's a fun way to donate a little bit of cash and and really support a good cause. Support someone who is, again, a pillar of the community because we do have to look out for each other. I went ahead and bought four tickets. No, I bought five tickets for the War cry heart of Gur because my friends in who are more Sigmar inclined have been harassing the crap out of me to get into Warcry anyway. So this looks like a good excuse to potentially get some cool models, but also most importantly to help someone out who um, deserves it. So anyway, like I said, link is below. You know, if you've got if you've got some money and you want to make a donation, uh, do it. It's good for your good for your soul and good for our community. So about a week ago, maybe, maybe a little bit less, there's this there's an image being passed around online of SN Horus Heresy Battle Reports, and people have been constantly pestering me to talk about this and respond to this. And so the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so to speak. So here we are here we go. So um here's the here's the post. You've probably seen it on Facebook if you're active on Facebook, but the SN team has been playing, testing a few rules tweaks to the current Age of Darkness Horus Heresy rule set. We feel these changes have made an improvement to the game. We wanted to share these ideas and ask for feedback from the community on them. The idea is to implement some of these rules changes to our future Horus Heresy events. Rule 1 is a maximum 3 units with the Dreadnought unit type. Rule 2, the interceptor reaction can only be used once per phase. This includes from abilities such as the Augury Scanner. Rule 3, wounds that occur during challenges can spill over into a unit or attached unit. Uh, and specifically it says, for the example, a Praetor kills a Sergeant in a challenge and does two additional wounds. These wounds would spill into the remaining models, the unit for, sa- uh, for saving rolls or additional wounds lost, etc. So the way it used to be. Rule number 4, pinning checks can only ever be modified to a maximum of minus 2. Rule number 5, Artificer armor saving rolls can only be taken up to the initiative of the model equipped with the artificer armor upgrade. So a sergeant, which has initiative four, can only take four saves, can only tank four saves before it has to go on to the rest of the squad. Finally, rule six, the instant death special rule generates D3 wounds to units with eternal warrior. Okay, so some of these... Some of these I dig, and some of these I don't dig. And so I'm going to be a helpful little community member and talk about it here. And then I'll go ahead and email my my uh, comments as well so that it's not just me snarking on a podcast. First of all, the maximum of three units with the Dreadnought unit type. I will say this. I've said it before. In my playtesting, I feel like three Dreadnoughts is the most you can bring in a standard 3,000-point game without feeling a bit like a jerk. And sometimes three is still a lot, especially if your opponent doesn't necessarily know it's coming. Do I like the idea of making this a specific rule? Um, I don't know. I think that it, it definitely makes sense to put it in there like this because it's kind of the gentleman's agreement that I think people should adhere to already. So this one, I'm okay with this rule. 
Number two, the interceptor reaction can only be used once per phase. This includes from abilities such as the Augury Scanner. I do not like this rule. I do not think it... I understand the concern that people have with the interceptor rule and that reaction in general, but I think that this creates a problem of its own. So here's the issue with interceptor as it exists within the game. Interceptor allows you to intercept any unit that comes onto the board, and this includes coming in from just standard reserve. So if you're like a flyer, for example, like your standard just like lightning or whatever, and you're just entering the board, you can be shot off the board before you move on, which is, that's bad. I do not like that. Now, the big problem is that in this edition, and the reason for this reaction needing to exist at all, is the fact that in this edition, G Games Workshop decided to make it so that it's possible to deep strike and then assault. So, alpha strikes which means, you know, those turn one assaults or those turn one strikes, attacks, whatever, that decimate, destroy your opponent before they get a chance to do anything back have always been a problem in wargaming because, one, from a game design, it's not fun to pick up your models, put them onto the board, and then immediately take them off because your opponent killed them all before you get a chance to do something. So as far as the game is concerned, having the ability to... Um, have all your models removed without getting you a chance to react with them, interact with them in any way, shape, or form is not fun. So in the last edition of Horus Heresy, you could deep strike, and there was a lot more freedom in deep striking. But once you came onto the board, you could not, in fact, uh, deep strike and then assault. So if your Terminators teleported down, if you had a flyer that came in, uh, you know, you were coming onto the board and... You could shoot, you could interact with your opponent's units in the shooting phase without them getting a chance to do anything to you. So you could sneak up on, outflank, do something to your opponent, but you were stuck where you were for their next phase. So your opponent got a chance to react. So this was both good and bad because, I mean, like, sometimes deep striking was not worth it because especially if you were going to, like, roll for it, you couldn't, you couldn't guarantee necessarily that your you're going to come onto the board until turn four at the latest, potentially turn three. But if you fail your rolls and you don't get your reserve rolls, you're not coming on until turn three or turn four. And then you can't interact with the board fully, i.e. charge, until the turn following that. So there was definitely a lot of risk in deep striking. The big thing was they weren't on the board at the start of the game, and so your opponent didn't get to shoot them, destroy them, whatever else. And because you could deep strike them and place them anywhere in the board, theoretically, then you had a chance to prevent your opponent from doing something with them. And then you could use your deep striking units to respond, to pin down your opponent, whatever else. A Dreadnought, a Leviathan Dreadnought in a Drop Pod last edition was a fantastic way to just guarantee that your opponent had something to worry about. You know, you just drop that that big bowling ball of death in the back line, and your opponent had to deal with it. You still get out, and you could shoot it. So, like, the Melta Siege Array. Melta Siege Array? I don't think that's what it's called. Whatever. The big Melta gun. You had a chance to pop a tank if you were lucky, or you could drop some Phosphex on some enemy troops, and then, I mean, you were going to get shot at, but you probably were going to survive and be able to charge for next turn. It was a it was a useful way to get that done. When they made it different so that you can charge out of deep strike, then the whole thing becomes more complicated because now you have to balance the game around the fact that 
All of these units have the ability to enter the board. They are not in danger of being harmed uh, while they are in reserves. And then because they can come down anywhere they want, and because of the way Deep Strike changed, okay, you place the unit and you Deep Strike them. And now you still have to roll if it's like, you know, disordered or whatever, um, and then your opponent gets a chance to move them all over the place. But because of the way that rule works, and you because of the way you can keep units in coherency, a unit can be, even if it's a disordered Deep Strike, you can have your opponent move your your first unit. You can still get a chance to assault, probably, depending on what you bring in that deep strike. So this puts armies that are being assaulted or attacked at a deep disadvantage. So they're going to buy augury scanners because they need to have that chance to interact in that way. If a unit has an augury scanner and it is a unit that is designed to win the game or help and assist in winning the game during the shooting phase and you choose to deep strike in order to circumvent that the ability for your opponent to shoot then the augury scanner is what is designed to allow that unit a chance to interact with the board I understand that people don't like that it's possible to get like nine interceptor reactions and really really damage the oncoming you know units or whatever but the matter of the fact is if they can't then suddenly what you're going to require or what you're going to see is all of those armies that are not utilizing deep strike rules they're going to have to react differently so now they're going to have to bring what more screening units they're going to have to be more careful about what they can put on the board they're going to have to change up the way that they list build if you limit this rule because they will not be able to count on their units being able to defend themselves before a deep strike assault now if that's what the designers of the game had in mind that would be one thing but by just limiting the interceptor reaction it is not not dealing with the fact or noticing the fact that we have an arms race between deep strike and interceptor in this edition and to change any of those to impact either of those is to put the other one vastly at a disadvantage. Now, I will say, and I think I've said it before here, maybe I haven't, but there are some units that need big help to survive in the interceptor environment, specifically flyers and specifically transport flyers. I think that if you wanted a house rule to sort of make this better, I think I would say that every flyer coming onto the board gets a 5-plus cover save. Or heck, I mean, you really, you really are concerned with the way the way this works. Give a general cover save or uh, of some kind to all units that come in from reserves if you really feel like it, that's the way it works. But do not take away the ability, the autonomy of the player who is defending against the deep strike from being able to play their own list. When I'm designing a list and I'm playing like. Like, what's a list that I wouldn't have deep strikes? Okay, if I was running Hammer of Olympia with my Iron Warriors, I know that I can bring Augury Scanners with a couple of key units, and then my list can be prepared for all different kinds of comers, and it can still play generally the way I want it to play. If you take away my ability to do that, then suddenly I am forced to bring additional units or replan my list around the potential of what my opponents might bring as opposed to my ability to play the list like I like I want to do it. Now, 
some of that's going to happen naturally because we all are going to adjust to our own local metas and the way that that works. But a game design which allows one specific type of player to dictate to everyone else how to build their narrative-focused list because, let's be honest, this is a narrative game. I don't think that's a good solution. That was a lot more than I... I got into it. I'm sorry about that. But I was in my feelings, so I had to let it go. All right. Rule three, wounds that occur during challenges can spill over into a unit or attached unit. I do not like this rule either. I remember in last edition when I would have things like Sigismund, who would challenge into a unit, and I'd be like, okay, well, um, I guess I'll accept. And then Sigismund would kill my sergeant and, like, Terminator armor cataphracti uh, because he was in, invincible, invincible and invulnerable. And then, you know, his other five attacks would just kill the rest of the squad too. And nobody got to attack and nobody got to do anything. There was no benefit to me accepting the challenge, um, and I would, could only be further penalized for not accepting the challenge. I like the fact that a challenge feels like its own combat and that the wounds do contribute, the excess wounds do in fact contribute to combat resolution, but that it means that if you have one guy who's brave enough to stand up to the never-ending death storm that is, you know, whomever, you get that last stand sort of situation where at least it buys you a little bit of time. Now, I do think there could be other ways to fix this rule that would be a better way of, of holding on to or dealing with the problem that I think people are intending and seeing with this issue. Now, the biggest thing that I can see, the problem that I can see, is that the rule as it exists, it could potentially benefit strong Death Stars with um, a very difficult to kill but highly offensive character like Sigismund, but it could also potentially harm small units or units that are already decimated and being charged, like, you know, a tactical squad with one sergeant and, like, four dudes versus, I don't know, a 10-man squad of anything. I think the best thing to do would instead be to include a mechanic that allows the challenge mechanic to be canceled when the odds are when the odds are extremely bad for the defending unit. Also situations where you've got a character who is alone or in particular, like, like for example, an assassin. I, tell me if I'm wrong, but theoretically, like an Eversore assassin with like nine attacks could charge a tactical squad, get tanked by the sergeant, and then, yeah, you might win combat because of wound resolution, but then all of the rest of those guys get a chance to dogpile on the Eversore assassin and, you know, not otherwise, not vice versa. So if that is the concern or things like that are what's happening, then yeah, I do definitely think that something could be done or something could be fixed. But by and large, I don't like those memories of the Ginsu Blade uh, champions that just chop through everything. Nobody gets a chance to respond. The challenge is pointless because I love the theatricality of the challenge and I like the fact that it limits that sort of thing. Number four, rule number four, um, pinning checks can only ever be modified to a maximum of minus two. I do not like this rule because I think that, I mean, maybe you could say minus three, honestly, but minus two seems too too restrictive. There are a number of rules, and there are, in fact, legions specifically, which a lot of their shtick is stacking these debuffs and whatever else. It's really easy to get to a minus two modifier when you are looking at, you know, like night fighting plus, I don't know, Shellshock 1 or something. And Shellshock 1 exists in a couple of different places. There's the fear mechanic, which could also apply. I'm thinking specifically of Night Lords here. Now, a minus two 
modifier against a squad which who theoretically has lost their sergeant. So like a tactical squad has leadership eight. If you kill the sergeant, they're down to leadership seven. A minus two puts them at leadership five. And then, you know, if you are capping in at two, a, you know, a leadership five test is really hard to make, and I do get that. However, I don't like the idea of the fact that this, I feel like this specifically targets a couple of builds in particular and greatly inhibits certain interactions like with a few specific legions. I think that a minus three would be, it would be okay to limit it there because that would still give a little bit more opportunity for play based on the way that some some legions and lists are going to design things. It does prevent you from being able to roll anything altogether whatsoever, but it's not it's not really, again, harming people who are building and playing a certain way. I'm actually curious about this rule as to what has happened to make them think about this being such a big problem. If there are specific units, and it's probably librarians, that are causing such big issues for that pinning um, that, that can be such a problem. Maybe it's better just to target that specific unit as opposed to issuing a blanket rule that also has unintended, perhaps, consequences with the entire rule set. Number five, this is an interesting one. I'm not sure what I think about this one because I could go I could go both ways on it. Artificer armor saving rolls can only be taken up to the initiative of the model equipped with the upgrade. So specifically, like we're talking sergeants, um, you've got initiative four, you can only tank four saves. There's a part of me that says, I really like this because, you know, it is silly like when you get like a squad of missile launchers, whatever, going on a tactical squad. The mental image of the sergeant standing up there and like jumping in front of nine missiles is a little dumb. But again, it makes me wonder about the necessity of a rule like this. Are people seeing that as a huge problem? I guess there's really not that much. Well, there's this is an addition with considerably, considerably less uh you know, AP3 and AP2, so I'm wondering how much of an issue this this really is. But I would be interested in hearing what other people think about this, you listeners and viewers, because maybe it would be a good idea. I mean, you can take four, it, it speeds up the rolling, it would speed up that part of the game. I think this is one that I'm cons- that I'm open to or definitely would think about considering adding to, adding to my local club. The next one says the instant death special rule generates D3 wounds to every unit with Eternal Warrior. I I don't know. I don't know. If, I do not think I like this one. It, Eternal Warrior is usually just placed on Primarchs. And I think that Primarchs are oftentimes too easy to kill for the most part. Some of them are definitely beasts. But like in most of the games that I've played, it's pretty easy to isolate a Primarch or take them down one way or another. Most of the games that I've played with one or two Primarchs, the Primarchs end up coming pretty close to dead or being killed or, or whatever else. Um, so instant death special rule. There are a few that have that specifically. Uh, the Disintegrators, I guess. What else has it? The Oh, the uh, anything with murderous strike. So there's lots of weapons that have that sort of thing. Now, I can't remember where I saw this, but someone suggested that this rule wouldn't be so terrible to include if you also just gave every warlord in your mod- in your army, like, uh, so, like, whoever is designated your warlord gets the rule Eternal Warrior, which I actually kind of like that idea 
because I do hate it when you've got a warlord who just gets taken out by like you know Joe Schmo sergeant with a power fist or something like that. Um, so if you were going to add some sort of durability to like one or two units, because you, I really hate it with the narrative when that model gets just completely slapped. But at the same time, it, now we're adding two rules instead of just one rule to deal with something that I didn't necessarily even see as a problem. I really would be curious to see what you all think about this. Uh, do you like all these rule changes? Do you think they're necessary? I think if I was going to go back and look at it, I could get behind rule one, maximum three dreadnought units, because I think that's kind of what I always, what I already think is appropriate. A modification to rule four, maybe take rule five as is, but rules two uh, with interceptor reaction, I don't think this is the solution. Rule three, I don't like it at all, um, unless there are additional addendums added on there for specific special cases and then rule six again i'm not sure i'm not sure if this is a problem so what do you think how right did i get it how wrong did i get it let me know this is a good time i guess to talk about another question that i've received and you know i basically i talk a lot about contemptors on this podcast and, and i guess that makes sense because they're a big deal this edition and you have to think about them but i keep getting asked in various different ways what would you do to change contemptors so I think the rule that the uh, that is suggested here, the limit of uh, three, is not necessarily a bad one, or something similar. Only one for one thousand points, or something like that. Mostly because that's kind of the gentleman's agreement, I guess, concept that I've sort of, you know, talked to my friends about anyway. I just think it's a friendlier way to put things together. So outside of limiting, outside of limiting the number of dreadnoughts that you can have, what else could you do? Well, I think they could stand a point increase. They're super cheap. That's part of the problem with their efficiency is that they're just ridiculously, I think, underpriced. They could take a 50-point bump and I still think be good enough for people to to want to take them. You could, you know, make them less survivable. You could give them uh, take a wound away, I suppose. I don't know that I necessarily want to mess with their save because if they go from a 2-plus to a 3-plus save, I think they almost become... That might make them too soft. I really don't know. I haven't done a lot of math on checking that sort of thing. But there are a lot of weapons that would just be a lot more efficient at just smoking these things. I think a point increase or a wound decrease might be a better way to do it. Another thing, uh, which, you know, because you, you could do a lot of things to adjust contemptors. The biggest problem with them is that they're super point efficient, and they they do almost everything. They can they can be shooting platforms that are extremely survivable. They can be close combat monsters. You know, they even can take the helical targeting array, so they can be your your anti air solution. Some of their options are super cheap, like the Melta cannon, which is only five points, should probably be fifteen, and the Carries assault cannon should probably be the five point upgrade because the Carries is fine, but it's not great. But on top of that, there's the, the problem with like what is really good at killing them. I've already talked before about the fact that even a last cannon heavy support squad is going to not be able to super efficiently remove contemptors but on top of that there's all sorts of other things that you typically would have used to smoke contemptors that just aren't nearly as good at it anymore one change that is sort of adjacent to this problem something that i'd like to see is i really would like to see all terminators be weapon skill five basically i think that and I don't care if they get a point increase across the board. I think they should all be weapon skill 5. 
the idea of Terminators as with a non-veteran weapon skill stat line just bothers me. And I appreciate the fact that there are a lot of Terminators, the Legion-specific ones, that have that weapon skill 5, but it's not consistent enough for me. I would really like it to be across the board. Having Dreadnoughts be a little bit more concerned or hitting on 4s versus hitting on uh, 3s, and then having Terminators be able to swing back with their Power Fists or their you know, thunder hammers or their chain fists and hit on fours instead of fives would go a long way to make the contemptors a little bit more survivable. And terminators are another unit that are just, you know, they're also iconic to the setting and it would be cool to make them, to, to see them as a little bit stronger. Currently, the Legion Cataphracti squads and the Legion Tartaro squads, I mean, they're, they're, they're plenty good at, at throwing them against regular Marines. But when you're trying to build a unit of them, you really have to think about what, what can they actually kill. Because if they, if a squad of five runs up against a, a Dreadnought, for example, which is an equal amount of points, essentially, to the Terminators, the Terminators don't stand any chance uh, in any stretch of the imagination. So it's a real, it's a real balance issue. Speaking of Contemptors, though, I have to talk about... This episode, I started recording this episode a week ago, and I never got around to finishing it until, well, today's Friday. Probably posted on Saturday, but regardless, there was another Heresy Thursday, and it was a little disappointing if you haven't seen this. So, what they're doing is releasing resin, torso, and head upgrade sets for six legions specifically. The Sons of Horus, the Imperial Fists, Dark Angels, Emperor's Children, White Scars, and the Iron Warriors. You might recognize these because these are not new sculpts. These are the sculpts that already are available for the resin contemptors that you can buy in Forge World already. And it says they've been rebuilt and retooled to work with the new plastic model, but the sculpt is essentially going to be the same. Now, cool, exciting, you know, it's an upgrade kit, I suppose, but this means that they are going to discontinue the uh, standard ones, the Legion Contemporary Red Knots that have Legion-specific shoulders, legs, and other details. They're going to be marked as last chance to buy soon, and then they'll be gone. So if you want those, you need to buy them, like, now. This is this is pretty sad, honestly. Now, admittedly, I guess it depends on how they price these, but you might end up wasting a lot of money buying these. So the new Contemptor Dreadnought that you can buy from uh, GW Direct is $60. The new plastic six, uh, multi-pose, you know, the multi-item, multi, multi item, whatever. 60 bucks. You can then buy additional weapon frames, or you can buy the whole thing with both of the weapon frame options. Uh, the, the weapon frames are 27 bucks, or you can buy the whole deal for $114. So that's everything all together for $114. So the Legion Contemptor Dreadnoughts, the resin ones that are on Forge World, which have no arms at all, so you have to buy the arms separately on top, are $65. So if you wanted to buy a regular Contemptor for your Legion, and then buy a whole bunch of different weapons, you know, that could be $114 to have the options for literally everything that you would want to have. The standard Dreadnought is $60 with, with arms. For six for five more dollars, you can get the resin version and have all of that detail and whatever else, which will be gone soon, which you won't be able to do. So the weapon arms, the weapon arms you're going to have to buy from the pack 
because you can no longer get them, it looks like, on ForgeWorld.com. So this is this is not very good. This is actually bad. If you want to have the ability to customize your dreads, it's really I'm really curious as to how much these upgrades are going to be, the torso and the head upgrades. I would not be surprised if Forge World priced them at like 40, 40 bucks or something similar. To, you know, it's a big chunk of resin. But if that's the case, man, these dreadnoughts just got a lot more expensive. Maybe this is GW's final plan to deal with the Contemptor meta is to uh, just milk the money out of it, I guess. I don't like talking about things negatively on this podcast, so to speak, but this move is not only is it sort of disappointing, not only is it sort of disappointing just to see, you know, not having the demons or anything else about the demons released, there's the fact that this is a article which just shows us six Contemptor upgrades for something that we already have that is going to end up costing us more in the long term because there's 18 different legions. We can probably expect at least another two weeks at some point of other updates just to, again, give us more stuff that we already have. And then finally, the fact that it's you know, we're going to lose detail, we're going to lose options, and we're going to have to spend more to do it. It's kind of It kind of stinks. It's kind of lame. But you know, what are you going to do? Time marches on. So I guess this would be my, this would be my push for real. If you're thinking about having, if you're thinking about having a Legion Contemptor for one of your new list or a new project in the future, it wouldn't be a bad idea in general just to pick up that Dreadnought body now. I mean, if you change your mind six months or a year down the road, they'll be out of print anyway. And so a legit version of one of those things will be worth something regardless. Still, it's disappointing. Okay, so the first Centurion we are going to talk about today is the Legion Siegebreaker. The Legion Siegebreaker can be so upgraded for 45 points and gains a couple of special rules. The first off is that they gain the Sunder special rule, and secondly, they gain Art of Destruction, which is unique for the Siegebreaker. At the start of each shooting phase, the controlling player of the Siegebreaker can nominate one friendly unit with at least one model within six of a model with this special rule, and the unit gains the benefit of Sunder for the duration of that shooting phase. Sunder is a rule that says attacks with this special rule may reroll failed um, armored penetration rolls against vehicles and buildings, both with shooting and close combat, and then also gets a reroll glancing hits in an attempt to get a penetrating hit if you so wish, but the second result must be kept. This is a really huge buff, and it really, really, it really is going to help with your overall offensive capabilities on everything. It's one of the reasons why last cannons are even better this edition than they were last edition, because now they've got Sunder, and so it helps guarantee that you're going to probably remove a hull point, you know, on a vehicle or whatever else. They're, they're fantastic. Now, on top of the fact that the Siegebreaker gets that themselves already, they also give it to not their unit, but a unit, any unit with a model than six inches. So this is this is a this is very good because you don't have to put the siege breaker with, for example, your heavy weapon squad or your um, tyrant siege terminators. You can put them in a, another squad next to it, a more f- fitting or suitable, um, like Death Star or bodyguard unit, if you so wish, and then you can grant it to something else. Now, another thing that's interesting about the siege breaker is that the Siegebreaker gets some interesting war gear, which we should talk about, but also it has an, a marked lack of restrictions. So a Legion Siegebreaker can have a, or gains a Nuncio Vox, 
which is the uh, the thing that helps you re-roll scatters and also help with reserve rolls a little bit, which is good because you're also going to get three Phosphex bombs, which are just grenades for free. In addition, any Legion rapier carriers with quad launchers in the same detachment may be upgraded to have Phosphex canister shots for 20 points per model, and any Arquiter squadrons with Morbus bombards in the same detachment may be upgraded with Phosphex shells for 20 points per model. So Phosphex, it used to be absolutely terrifying, and it's it's still good, but it's not as as terrifying as it was before. So a Phosphex shell for the Morbus Bombard, the Arquitter, it is limited to a range of 24 inches. It has Strength 5 and AP 2, Ordnance 1, Blast 3, Poison 3+, Crawling Fire, which allows you to move it after its final positioning, and then Lingering Death. So this is an effective anti-infantry option. It only has a 3-inch blast, so you're going to be able to take out a few things, but smart players who space things out, you're going to be limited a little bit on this. Also, only 24-inch range, which is another thing. Phosphex containers for the Rapier are now range 12 to 24, so there's only a 12-inch range in which you can use them. And similarly, they are blast weapons of only three, Poison 3+, plus, Crawling Death. But the Phosphex, the Phosphex ones from the Rapier are only Strength 4, AP 3, as opposed to AP 2. So you're not even negating Terminator armor saves. Strength 4 doesn't matter because it's Poison 3+, plus, and the Poison is what determines your ability to wound. So, I mean, Phosphex is still okay. It's definitely still workable, but there's a pretty intense decrease in range. So you might not necessarily want to take this upgrade. Also, 20 points a model for these upgrades is kind of a lot. It's, it's, not, it's not free anyway, so it's definitely something you will have to think about and consider. I could see it on Phosphex canisters, I suppose, especially if you are... I mean, Phosphex is still good, and it's flavorful, especially for some legions like Death Guard or, or whatever else. Or, you know if you want to bring Phosphex with your Dreadwing lists or whatever. But it's not, it is not the most horrifying thing on the table like it used to be. What's most interesting to me about the Siegebreaker is how in this edition they are not limited anymore to having to be on foot or anything. So you can put this Siegebreaker, for example, you can give them a jump pack. You can give them a bike um, or a jet bike. Now, I bring this up because when you consider that uh, the Siegebreaker has that Art of Destruction rule that allows them to grant Sunder, the ability to make this character mobile and attach them to a variety of different units to scoot it around and grant its buff in different ways really opens up a lot of interesting possibilities. So to take advantage of the power of Sunder, what you want to do is put the Siege Breaker in a position where they can buff a probably decent-sized unit or a unit with a fair number of shots so that it can really multiply and, and do something for you. This isn't going to help units like uh, anything with a Multi-Melta or a Last Cannon because they already have the same rule or better rules, really. I'm not sure if Sunder can stack with Armor Bane. It might be able to. Hmm, that's something to think about. Well, regardless... The best way to add a lot of multiplicative power, I think, is to put the Siege Breaker with something that has like a high but not necessarily guaranteed penetrating high strength weapon, such as autocannons or missile launchers or something of the like. 
so that you can have a real good chance to maybe glance out some relatively high or, you know, 14 armor value weapons. So in particular, I think I would put this with, if I was an Iron Warriors player, I think a Siege Breaker would go really great next to a squad of Tyrant Siege Terminators. Having a bunch of crack missiles, um, strength 8 with re... Uh, actually, I'm sorry, strength 9 against vehicles and weapons or uh, buildings because of the Iron Warriors special rule, and then having Sunder on those things would be really powerful, really devastating. Similarly, if you had, for example, a Imperial Fists heavy support squad with autocannons or something, you're already getting a 2 plus to hit because they're autocannons, put a Siege Breaker with them, and now you're getting Sunder as well. Suddenly, your autocannons have, you know, a really good chance, or much better chance, I should say, of glancing out or getting some of those rends that you need to punch through armor that's a little bit tougher, that sort of thing. Because they can also grant it to melee attacks as well. I mean, honestly, a siege breaker in with a squad of people with, you know, let's say thunder hammers or um, power fists, that's also pretty powerful. Typically, I would, historically, I would think of the siege breaker as a unit that is designed to buff um, uh, shooting units. And I mean, it still definitely can and definitely will. However, if you put this into a melee squad, you can really get advantage of those Fosdex bombs because you're getting up close enough to actually throw the things, um, which, again, you're getting for free. But then also, again, like I said, having Sunder as a multiplier on any unit that is going to be needing to, you know, bust down a vehicle, target a, an enemy Spartan, something like that, it's definitely worth considering. It's too bad that Sunder doesn't immediately apply itself towards Dreadnoughts or something, because that would make this really, really fantastic, uh, specifically for that melee option, because... There are a lot of melee units that are going to struggle against Dreadnoughts unless they've got the specific war gear to help them out. So it would be cool to have a unit like this, which you could apply to one of your other beat stick units and then guarantee that you've got a chance of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. But alas. As far as loadouts go, it's really going to depend on where you see this guy going and what you want them to do. So I could see putting this, um, and I really think it would be cool to see it, have one of these on a jet bike and then move around with a jet bike squad or near a jet bike squad to grant um, Sunder to like, I don't know, something that you would use to pin down medium uh, armor, medium armor vehicles like rhinos, predators, stuff like that. So maybe next to a Volkite Culverin squad. I think that could be kind of fun. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be good, but it would be interesting and a lot of other people wouldn't think of doing it. The other thing I guess is that if it's just going to go into a, what is the equivalent of a heavy weapon squad or something that's just going to stand and shoot, really you can just leave it in artificer armor, give it a power weapon of some kind because always make sure your centurions have a power weapon or something, and then just let them go as is, so keep them nice and cheap. The other thing you could do, though, is, I mean, they are able to go into Terminator armor, so you can put them in Terminator armor, and you can put them in with a beat stick squad of people with power fists or thunder hammers because... You want to guarantee that you can take down a vehicle if they need to do so. And then you can get a chance to actually use those Phosphex bombs. So there's lots of different ways to do it, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad way. 45 points for this upgrade. It's a pretty costly unit base, but it's not terrible, and it definitely does unlock some definite cool possibilities. The next up is the Legion Primus Medicae, which is a staple in anyone who's probably run big Terminator units in the past, and... We'll probably continue to see some play, although there's some things that are a little bit confusing about the design of this character, at least to me. 
So as I've stated, you do need to take one of these if you want to have um, uh, the Filmo pain in with a unit of Terminators, and this is why. So apothecaries have the apothecary and detachment rule, which is a unique and a pretty cool way to, to do apothecaries. It's similar to the way it worked before, but an apothecary and detachment is selected as a unit uh, using up a single force organization chart and bought in the same manner. However, before the first turn begins and models are deployed, all models in an apothecary unit must be assigned to another unit from the same detachment of the army that they were selected as a part of. Legion apothecaries that have not selected a Spatha combat bike or a scimitar jet bike may only be assigned to units composed of infantry units, and the same Legionus Astartes X special rule as the apothecary. They cannot join units that have Terminator armor of any kind. Legion apothecaries that have selected a Spatha bike or a jet bike can be put with those units as well. No apothecary may be assigned to any unit that includes one or more models with the independent character special rule or the unique subtype, but may join that unit as an apothecary as normal during deployment or any following turn. No more than one apothecary may be assigned to a specific unit. So let's clarify some of those things. So one of the things that's important to note there and something that people have been talking about recently the thing about the can't be joining a squad with the independent character rule, this happens. This step of assigning the apothecary happens right away. You can have a unit with both an independent character and an apothecary, as long as they're infantry and as long as nobody has Terminator armor, because the independent character attaches to that squad after the apothecary attaches. So it's like an order of operations sort of thing. The reason why this becomes sticky or tricky is that if you have a character that that selects a retinue so they're there using the same organization so like for example if you take a command squad with you know ferris manis then you cannot add an apothecary to that squad because that squad is built in as part of the independent character so in order to do that or in order to add feel no pain with any character that has terminator armor you have to select the primus medicae because they get, this gets around that sort of thing. So you can add the Primus Medicae to any squad, even if you don't necessarily take it in Terminator armor because you don't have to, but you can take Feel No Pain with your command squad if you also take an additional HQ. So HQ spots being what they are, being pretty competitive, that's a pretty heavy tax. But, I mean, it's designed to say only the best of the best go with your Warlord or whatever, so I, that all makes sense to me. That being said... Um, there is another reason, of course, why you would want to do this, and that's because you have that Terminator armor, and you want to make sure your Terminators have Feel No Pain. One of the reasons why Terminators that have a built-in Feel No Pain already feel real strong is because it's really hard to get otherwise, but yeah, you see how this all works together. Now, in addition to that basic 5-plus Feel No Pain that you get from the free Narthesium, which is good, there's also this rule, Sacred Trust. And this one, is, this one is a little confusing to me. So listeners, tell me what I'm missing here. So the Sacred Trust rule says that any models with the infantry or cavalry unit type in the same unit as a model with this special rule may re-roll any failed it-will-not-die rolls made. This effect immediately ends if the model with the Sacred Trust rule is removed, as you would expect. So re-rolling failed it-will-not-die rolls. Okay, that's cool. Um, that could be useful in helping you regain lost wounds here and there. And immediately the thing that I can think of is um, the Fire Drake Terminator squads, the special squads that you can get with the 
salamanders. So they've got a basic five plus feel no pain. And so that means that you can put a Primus Medica in with them and they can re-roll those fail uh, it will not dies, which is cool. Here's the thing about this rule though. It specifically only targets infantry and cavalry types. Now, my first thought was maybe this is supposed to be a way to give a little bit more survivability to your Primarch, but Primarchs are neither infantry or cavalry types. They are Primarch types. And so this rule would not help the it will not die for that unit. I'm having a hard time thinking currently of too many more units that have it will not die that could really benefit from this. On top of that, Fire Drake Terminators, because of the way wound allocation works and whatever else, you are probably never going to be able to roll it will not die on more than one of these guys. So you're getting one re-roll because of this rule of phase, which just doesn't seem that good. Now, funnily enough, there is one Primarch who can actually utilize a Primus Medicae to gain this, this ability, which is, oddly enough, the Khan. The reason why is because of the wording on the Khan's Sajatsu pattern void bike. Okay, if you choose to have the Khan mounted, then they get on that bike and they gain two Mastercrafted Heavy Bolters, Hammer of Wrath 2, Firing Protocols 3, the Anti-Grav subtype, the, they change the fallback rule, but also this is the last, the last bullet is interesting to us. When upgraded to have a Sojutsu pattern void bike, Jagatai Khan may join units that include models with the cavalry unit type, despite the usual restrictions, which makes sense, and any rules that target the cavalry unit type are considered to affect Jagatai Khan as if he had that unit type. So, theoretically, the Khan on his bike can actually gain the use, full use, of a Primus Medicae. Now, that's a little gamey, and I don't know that that's rules as intended, so I don't know that I would roll up to the table with that one in mind, White Scar's players, but it is interesting based on rules as written. I don't know why the Khan getting on a bike suddenly feels like he can heal faster or better because of the premise Medicaid. But honestly, my belief, I, I feel like the I feel like the rule is supposed to be something that works on prim, on uh, Primarchs as I just don't understand why else you would want to use the rule. It seems like the thing to do, the, the thing that would make sense. It seems like a way to get feel no pain into a command squad attached to your Primarch and then have the Primarch be able to benefit from something because Primarchs can't naturally benefit from the Narthesium and the Feel No Pain therein. So that's the only way they can get some benefit out of it. How would I run this unit? I mean, I think it really depends. I think our standard our standard design for characters, they should have some sort of power weapon or power hammer weapon, melee something. They should probably, more likely you're going to see these in, in Terminator armor because the part of the reason you're doing it is because of the fact that you can put them with Terminators. So however you want to field them in that regard, that's that's the way they should probably work. Now, again, Feel No Pain is really powerful. This is going to go well with a Death Star unit or a unit that has a lot of durability. In particular, should point out that um, units that are already really tough because of other rules really benefit from the added extra oomph of something like this. If you are a Iron Hands player, for example, and you're going to run Morlocks, the new uh, exemplary battle Terminators that have battle-hardened, so they're extra tough and hard to kill, suddenly the idea of getting a feel no pain on them against wounds that normally most people couldn't shrug off sounds really, really awesome. So I definitely would consider 
Primus Medicaid if I was running that squad. Other than that, useful, flavorful. Many of you already have this model on the shelf. There's no problem here using it. But again, just thinking about making sure that it goes on a unit that it's worth that it's worth doing something with. Last and not exactly least is the Mortificator, the Legion Mortificator, which is the Legion Mortificator gets a bunch of special rules, Keeper of the Dead, Ancient Devotion, and Battlesmith 6+. So first of all, Keeper of the Dead. A detachment that includes a model with a special rule may take an additional Legion Contemptor Dreadnought Talon composed of a single model as part of the same force organization chart as the model with the special rule. The model with the special rule must join the Dreadnought unit that has been selected at the beginning of the battle during deployment and may not voluntarily leave that unit during play. This is an exception to the Dreadnought unit type, which would normally stop such models from joining the unit with this uh, with this type. Okay, So they get an escort of one, one Dreadnought. No more than one Dreadnought. This is a change from last edition where they could just have a Dreadnought Talon, but no more than one. The next rule, Ancient Devotion. While a model with this special rule is part of a unit, all Dreadnoughts in that unit gain It Will Not Die 5+. So, your one Dreadnought, maximum one, that is part of this unit gets It Will Not Die 5+. It does not mean it has Feel No Pain, which is what it had last edition. It has It Will Not Die. For War Gear, Legion Mortificator gains a Servo Arm, which is going to help you a little bit with your Battlesmith. going to be better than a 6+, of course and a corpuscent stave and no additional points cost. In addition, it has to be on foot, so no no combat bike, no jet bike, uh, no Legion Warhawk jump pack. You can put them in Terminator armor, but you cannot put them, mount them on anything or have them jump. Okay, so the corpuscent staff is a haywire stick, so it allows you to use haywire against anything you touch, so if you end up tussling with another Dreadnought, for example, you're going to have some guaranteed hits on that, which is pretty good. The Mortificator is going to be able to heal that one specific and repair that one specific Dreadnought. It is going to be able to provide that. It will not die. So pretty likely that that one Dreadnought's going to be pretty thick, pretty difficult to deal with. What's nice about this is because they really need to change it. The Mortificator was already getting a lot of attention last edition because the ability to give Feel No Pain to uh, Dreadnoughts was just nuts. And it would be absolutely even worse this edition. So I'm glad there's only one that you can add. Now, a unit like this is going to have a hard time getting around. It can't take a Dreadnought Drop Pod because, well, it just can't. It doesn't have that option for one thing. Also, the Dreadnought Drop Pod doesn't have room for the one additional model. You're not going to be able to put it into a tank of any kind other than like something with the transport bay option. So like Mastodon, what Thunderhawk, stuff like that. So you're going to have this guy just marching across the field getting shot at, but it should be pretty durable in the meantime. Is it a fun unit? Absolutely. And it's a really cool idea if you've got a sp one specifically blinged out contemptor that you want to take and you have a cool narrative and story for this feels like a really cool narrative unit because you could really come up with a, a really fun reason why this Dreadnought requires this assistance from this Mortificator. And I would include this unit if maybe only for a the modeling perspective and whatever else. Now, the one thing about the Mortificator is that its upgrade is actually pretty cheap. It's only 25 points to upgrade the Mortificator. 
which is kind of wild when you really consider it. Now you you're it's because you're going to have to buy the you're going to have to buy the Legion Contemptor as well, but still you are probably going to do that in a lot of your other lists as well. So if you were going to think about including just a soul contemptor or something and you have the extra 100 points that you need to get this console, I would consider doing it. The Legion Cataphracti Centurion is 85 points plus the 25 points for an upgrade. Takes you to 110 for this thing. That will give you a basic power weapon, a combi bolter, and then of course the Corpusant Staff. It's funny because I think I've sort of talked myself into this Centurion a little bit more through doing this segment. It's a, it's a fluffy thing. I think I would include it only in a force in which I could build the narrative for it, though, because, you know, as I said, it seems like a very niche idea, and it'll it'll be decent in any, in any list, really, because basically it's just taking a Contemptor and making it a little bit better and bringing along somebody, you know, who can assist and repair it as well. The big thing is that uh, the thing to watch out for, I guess, and I, I would need some more time to think about this, because the unit is only two models, there used to be a rule where your, I think the Mortificator had some sort of like bodyguard protection, but they don't have that anymore because you can only bring one Dreadnought. That means you just have one Dreadnought hanging out with this dude. So if you get charged by anything at all, the biggest one of the biggest things I can see as potentially an issue, I guess, is the fact that you have you're going to get challenged probably. So unless the Mortificator has, unless you give them a specific beat stick weapon, and I'm not sure you're going to want to, if you if you put them in Terminator armor, they'll have a power weapon at least, you know, for free. But they're going to be out of combat, and then they could get very quickly overwhelmed. The other thing too is that this this guy is going to get shot by a sniper rifle without a doubt. There's just no reason not to. And because of the unique combination of the one infantry model plus a dreadnought it's going to be very difficult to put this this unit inside a transport unless as i said earlier it's a transport bay so there are pluses and minuses i think overall i'm really happy with the change they made to this so that it's still a fluffy thing you can do but it's not like ridiculously powerful with as complicated as the contemptors are going to be this edition that's going to wrap it up for this time, and as always, please reach out to ineptusastardus30k at gmail.com with your listener questions, comments, feedback, whatever. Uh, like I said, this is going to be posted on Blueberry, uh, but also it's going to be on YouTube as well. So if you're hearing it one place or the other, look for each. Links for all will be down below. Hope you are having a good day middle of your February and I'll talk to you soon.